Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you for every day. There's only one day with you. It's called today, Lord. So help us to make the most of it. Help us to spend all the grace that you give us for today, Lord. And then we'll start fresh tomorrow. Help us not to worry, be upset, knowing that you're not worried or upset. That your plan is working out perfectly. Thank you, Lord, for growing us up and discipling us in your word so that we can be a help to offer your healing, empowerment, love, and prosperity to a hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today is uh, what's commonly known as the day of Pentecost. We are not... We don't have to worry ourselves or hold all the religious holidays uh, in a religious mindset. In, in, order, in other words, we don't have to observe things and do certain things and hold our mouths just right to be acceptable to God. But it's good to remember these things. That's why I like Christmas. He may not have even been born in December. I don't think he was. But hey, any time in the world to take a month off and, and sing about Jesus and decorate and... and Give and yeah. things like that, and uh, anything to to bring about the Lord. You know, some one day the disciples came to Jesus and they said, "Hey, there's these guys over there preaching in your name, and they're not part of us. You want us to put a stop to it?" He said, "Uh." Uh-uh. He said, "If they're talking good about me, it's hard for them to turn around and talk bad about me." You know. <laughs> and Paul was in prison one time, and he said there was people in there preaching um, in order to stir things up and start trouble about Jesus, talking about Jesus and others for good reason. He said both either way, as long as Jesus is talked about. In other words, I guess with Jesus, there's no bad press. He said, just get my name out there. Let me do the work. Amen. <laughs> We've been talking and so Pentecost is, is 50 days after Resurrection Sunday. Okay. So seven weeks Seven Sundays after Easter, including Easter Sunday, 50th day, 55 is the number for grace. So the day of Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out. Remember, Jesus told the disciples, don't do anything, even though they'd been with him for three and a half years, seen everything, heard everything in person. He said, don't go try to minister in my name. Don't go try to do any works, any miracles, uh, signs and wonders. Just wait until the promise of the Father comes, the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And that's when it was poured out on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. And so that's that's what we're talking about. It's interesting because we've been talking about first the gifts of the Spirit, or most of them, and then the, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's all of the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Characteristics of the Holy Spirit in you, of Jesus in you, and the gifts that He gives us um, to be of service to other people in the world. But I've talked uh, at some length about the first three fruit of the Spirit, peace, love, and joy. The rest are patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I got I did a week each on peace, love, and joy. And I'm going to try to do the next three today. I don't think I can do it. 
But if God says I, I can, I can. If uh, if he if he veers me off, that's okay too. We just stop and start again. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so the next one is patience, and <laughs> this this is a tough week. That's why I'm going to bunch them all in and just shove it all down your throat. And it's like eating your spinach first, you know, and then and hey, we'll have some dessert later, you know. These these three all rub me wrong. <laughs> these still, I'm still in the river with the water rushing over me. With I'm one of the stones in the river that that bumping up against the other stones and and the water rushing over me, getting the rough edges off. Amen. Patience, kindness, and goodness. And the reason these three are going to go together today. Just kind of like with the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, they're in three groups and three separate things, and they kind of go together. Without, without patience, uh, you will not understand or, uh, or, uh, or come to terms with kindness and goodness, because they go together in some ways, just like some of the gifts do. Patience is kind of a two-sided coin. But it's not a one or the other, it's a both. You have to have both sides of this coin. And uh, I can picture a guy just flipping those coins. I never knew how people do that. How do they do that? Roll it through their knuckles. I I don't know. The first part of patience is, is steadfastness. You like that word, steadfastness? In enduring tribulations, trials, troubles, hardness. Tough times. Steadfastness just means faithfulness, unfaltering, faithful, steady, standing firm, right? During tough times, enduring hardships or troubles. The other side of the coin is slowness in avenging wrongs. Got to have both. Some people are good at patiently enduring affliction or tough times. They're going through it. They just say, uh, they just suck it up, roll up their sleeves and deal with it. But when it comes to slowness and avenging wrongs, not so much. This was one of my hardest, still is. It was easy for me when the Lord got a hold of me and I got, and I found out that it was the devil who had been doing all these things that I... Uh, you know, I take full responsibility for whatever you know I did in my life. But the devil is the one who compels people and inspires people to do ugly, right? And when I found out he was my real enemy, and that now no longer is my battle against flesh and blood, but it's against the thing or the the demons or the demonic influence that's compelling them and moving them forward. And the best thing that can happen to them is that God, that Jesus, get a hold of them like He did me and others. And not that I'm the example, but you know what I mean. So I had to learn that uh, no longer was uh, my weapons uh, going to be uh, physical, uh, but they had to be spiritual. I said, Lord, let me fight on your team, you know, let me fight the devil. And he said, well, you have to forget everything. You have to kenos, which is a Greek word that means empty out. Forget everything you think you know. You know nothing, John Snow. <laughs> and he was right. 
I knew less than nothing. And I barely now know anything, but I know I love the Lord. I'm glad I'm not so smart that I've talked myself out of God. I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends like that. And I'm praying consistently for them to dumb down a little bit. And I mean that with all sarcasm. But some of us, we get better at it. You know, we, we, we learn that we don't want to avenge ourselves physically, but we still do it, you know, with our words or whatever. Or with our thoughts, at least. And Jesus said, even that is bad. And so all of these characteristic fruit of the Spirit are so good for us to understand. Because if you learn anything, if you, if any of you listen to the, the messages about love, joy, and peace, you, you would, you, you, you'd be coming to realize that, hey, these characteristics of God that are in me and that He expects me to, to grow in and to walk in, they're not what I thought. They're not, they're not always what I thought. And so I'm learning about God and His ways, and I want to get better at it and uh, because I know that everything God has for me is good. Amen. Amen. Acts 14, uh, in, in Acts the 16th chapter, um, and I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase a lot of this because I don't want to take a lot of time, but uh, in, in the 16th chapter of, um, of Acts, um, Paul and Silas had been uh, going on one of their... Uh, missionary trips through the nations where they had started churches they had gone back they were trying to encourage people who had been enduring great hardships for being Christians you know this was a time when people were being fed to the lions and used for sport if they were a Christian they were burning them at the stake they were using them for sport they were hunted, being hunted down dragged out of their homes they were they were suffering and Paul and Silas went back. They were encouraging people. And Paul and Silas had been put into prison there in, I think they were in Philippi. Um, I, I, don't want to, I don't even want to turn over there because I'll get stuck there. But in uh, Acts chapter 16, it talks about this. And then he's encouraging these believers to uh, stay strong in the faith and to be patient and to endure hardship and persecution. Because it's something that's necessary. And in 2 Timothy, when Paul's encouraging uh, this young minister that he raised up and sort of thought of as a son, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he starts off by telling him that you must endure hardship. You must endure hardship patiently. Why the must? He told him is to share in the sufferings of Christ. That seems so crazy, doesn't it? It's like, well, he, he, he took my place on the cross. He, he took my place on death row. He, he took my punishment, my judgment, so that I could share in his acceptance and his everything good. The forgiveness of God is mine because of what Christ paid for. So if I try to pay for it some more, aren't I just under the law? Aren't I going back? To what I was brought from? Am I going away from grace and back under the law? No. Because our spirit was saved. And in our born again spirit we have all of the things that we're talking about. All of the fruit of the spirit are full blown and full grown in you. You say, no they're not. (laughs) I am not fully blown and grown in patience, kindness or goodness. 
I try to be kind. If they're good to me, I'm good. No. Uh-uh. So what's the problem? We're three-part beings. First Thessalonians 5.23. We've got to understand that. That's got to be underlined in your Bible. You have to ask God about that. You have to get Him to explain that to you. Otherwise, you look in the mirror and say, Well, heck, I guess I'm the only one in my church that ain't saved. I thought baptism didn't work. Nothing worked. Because I'm still ugly all inside. Well, your spirit is redeemed, perfected, sealed. One-third of your salvation is done. But you can't understand that with your natural senses. This is your soulish realm. And this is where we're trying to work out that which is already within. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Here's the key. Romans chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. For that he died, Jesus, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, so just like Jesus, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should Obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That is a very liberating and traumatic and dramatic scripture. Because it says so much with so little words. So few words. We, but the key to being patient, enduring hardness or hardship or struggles patiently and not avenging wrongs quickly is to reckon ourselves dead. We have to literally realize and believe and know because it's true that that was us on that cross. Jesus bore our death and if we are in Christ, we were with him there on the cross. He did take our death on the cross and the and now the life that we live, we shouldn't think of as Joey or Barbara or Tamara or Will or Sam anymore but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh is no longer I who live, Paul said, but Christ who liveth in me. And this is not a natural thing. The Christian life is not a natural life, it is a supernatural life. But the only way to grow and to be perfected as it were, and I know that's a hard word, so just to to be more Christ-like, which is our goal, our aim, because there is a scripture in the Bible that says, Be ye perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And people go, Ah, nobody's perfect. Listen, as long as you're in this flesh, you're going to make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect, but you need to be willing to be perfected. 
I just mean discipled in the Word to be, become more like, more Christ-like as you go and grow. Amen. If you're not, then there's something wrong. There's still a rebellious spirit in there somewhere that needs to be mortified, put to death. But we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin, acknowledge our death in Christ on the cross, and then all the old junk in, in the soulless realm needs to be dealt with. That's what it talks about in Colossians verses 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Mortify, <laughs> put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't mean kill your body. It just means reckon in your mind, put to death the things that your body craves. Remember what we told, talked about when we talked about the joy of the Lord? It, we're three-part beings. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, spirit, soul, and body. The body seeks pleasure. The soul seeks happiness. But the spirit who you really are, that has a soul walking around in a body, is joy that fulfills the Spirit. Therefore, put to death the, the, the things that satisfy your body. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Concupiscence is a, evil concupiscence is a, an overwhelming desire to do evil. It's the thing that used to drive and motivate you when you were the devil's child and not God's. Amen. <laughs> and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. When you did, you have now been reborn. But now you need to get rid of all that stinking thinking, all that junk from the old unregenerative nature must be purposely put to death on, by choice in your soulish realm. All the old expressions of that dead nature, that removed nature, that's left behind some garbage in your thought process. The battlefield is between your ears. Amen. Amen. And that's where you need to just replace all that old junk with what God says about you, who he, he says you are, the promises of God, the beautiful things that God has for you, and the things He wants you to share with others. Amen. Amen. All right. So patience is produced in us by experientially working it out in our lives, working out the death of Jesus in our own bodies on our own behalf and then believing it, walking in it. Tavana's one of her favorite scriptures, the thing that helped her out with, you know, Philippians 4, uh, 8, where it, where it says, therefore, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are beautiful, if there be anything praiseworthy, it tells you all these wonderful things, any, anything of good report, think on these things. In other words, when his minister was working with her and said, you got to get rid of all that stinking thinking. Think on the things of God. Think on good things. Think on positive things. And and uh, But you have to skip down to kind of to the 13th verse to see how to do that. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How do I think like that? How, 
I can do all things through Christ. It's keeping our focus on the cross. Amen. First Peter, back behind Hebrews and James, and nearly to Revelation. First Peter two verses twenty and uh, twenty through twenty three. It says here, for what glory is it if when you are buffeted, <laughs> mistreated, <laughs> for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. When you do bad and you get in trouble for it. And you're patient, so what? You had it coming, right? He says, no good. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. If you're mistreated because you're a Christian and you're trying to live for Christ, and you don't do anything about it, you don't defend yourself, God says, that's awesome. Because He knows how hard it is. He knows how hard it is. He says, now, now you're growing in patience. Now you're strengthening that muscle. First Peter, just look at the next chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ... Here's our example, Jesus. As Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise. Do, you know, anytime you, you want to get angry, anytime you want to compare yourself to someone else, anytime you want to get into pride and to anger and all that, just just look at the cross and think that's... I was supposed to be hanging there. I haven't gone that far yet. I can handle this. Amen? That's what he's saying here. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he hath suffered in the flesh, he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Look at that. You know, the more you go through and patiently endure it, and you know, the more, if you allow, because I, believe me, I, I think I've shared before how I've I ministered to people over the last 12 or 13 years that... You would think, by all the hell on earth, and there is no hell on earth, believe me, it's way worse in the real hell, but I'm just saying, an expression that people are familiar with, the things they have suffered, they would, they would change a little bit. But I've been in prisons ministering. I've been on the street ministering to people who should have been in prison, <laughs> like me, but who never changed. They became more bitter. More violent, more criminally minded, through the things they suffered, and they never once took responsibility, you know, and they blame God for everything. But if we allow, God will take the things that we've suffered, and He'll He'll mature us, won't He? He'll He'll grow us a little bit. We should change and mature and 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 grow in wisdom and things as we get older. And we should want to share those things with the younger generation. Man, how many times you look at these kids and you just hear them talking. You're just like, oh, Lord, just give me a window, a door of opportunity that I can share with them some of the things that they're so, that they just have wrong thinking about without offending them and driving them away. You know? <laughs> Jesus is the example of this. To reckon ourselves dead to sin. How come Jesus never defended himself? He said one time, he said, he said, you know, 
<laughs> Peter pulled out a sword and cut a dude's ear off. He said, let's go. We, we're gonna, <laughs> I'm ready to die with you, Lord. He told him that that day, and he, he proved it in a fight. But later on, he wasn't willing to put up with the persecution and the hardship that comes from people belittling you and, and imprisoning you and all that. That's why he denied Jesus, you see? Those are the harder things. It's harder not to fight. Believe me. I would, you know. <laughs> it's, it's much easier to fight. Even if you lose. Just, ah. Instead of have to just absorb it and show Jesus. But that's the true answer to patience. Jesus is our example. And how did Jesus do that? He told, anyway, when, when Peter did that, he said, put that away. He said, don't you know I could call, I could call down 10,000 angels, wipe them all out? We would, me and my father, you know, basically we would start all over. We don't need y'all. We don't have to do this. I chose to do this. So just, just relax. He wanted to do his father's will, and so do we. That's why we're learning what it is. And some of these things are hard. You don't hear people talking about these when they're preaching about all the wonderful things God has in store for you. They don't tell you about the hardships that you must endure. Paul said you must endure. Why? Because we want to work out and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, in patience and and kindness and goodness. And you'll see. So just to finish up with patience, you see that to be dead to sin is basically... Sin has no more power over you. Sin has no more attraction for you. And sin uh, generates no reaction from you. No power, no attraction, no reaction. And I would say that it's a process. Steps. You know, and sometimes you might, you might look weird because it's like, well, why does that guy keep walking up the stairs and then he walks back down a couple stairs and he walks back up and then he goes back down one or two? <laughs> That's how the Christian life probably looks to God for us. Well, are you ever going to make it to the top, boy? It's like the, the Hebrew uh, children wandering through the desert 40 times. There's only a few day walk across that desert to the promised land, you know. They went around that mountain for 40 years. Yeah. Same with us. No, it isn't. In Jesus' name. See, but but some of us, I mean, we get to the point where sin just has no power over us anymore. We realize that, hey, that sin nature was removed. The devil's not my daddy anymore. Now God is in there. And if I allow him, I you know, so it has no power. You can't make me. You know, all the things that I used to be drawn to, I would really try not to do, not to bend out to do. Okay, I'm right back there. Now, no way. Can't make me. Not going to make me. No more power over me. There are a lot of people like that in the Christian, in the, in the church at large, right? But it still has some attraction to them. There are others that has no power over them and has lost all attraction. They have become so full of the truth they can't stand the lie. No attraction. But they can still, you can still uh, solicit a reaction from them. Especially verbally, if not physically, verbally. And you know, it's like it's like we we justify things in our mind. We we set a we set a level. Well, God doesn't expect me to go past here. I'll take this much. You know that the devil knows that boundary you set? 
And so he's going to take you to here. Not all the time, because he ain't stupid. He's stupid because of what he thought he was going to do. But he knows that string to pluck, if you've got one that's pluckable. And he knows when to do it, because he's going to take you to here at the very worst time. <laughs> Lord of all days, let me be my best today. That's the day he's going to take you here. Don't have a here. Don't have a ceiling. My ceiling is God. If you can tell me how high and how wide and how deep is His love for me. Because that's what has to motivate me, you see. I have to believe that. Otherwise, I'll choose to fight my own battles instead of allowing God to fight them for me. And that's when I lose. Because when we choose to pick up our sword, God just steps back. He says, you know, He doesn't like it. My, my child, you've, you've, you've taken my authority. My angels are sitting there waiting to go to battle for you. And they're waiting for you to empower them with your words and your actions. And so are the enemies. The enemy has no authority, no power except what you give him, my child, because I've given you my authority in this earth. Don't, don't give him any. Give it, to, give it to God. Give the authority and the power to the angels that are working on your behalf and benefit, not the ones that are out to destroy you. Amen? Amen. Kindness. A little more gentle here. Glad you got off of patience, man. Somebody told me don't ever pray for patience because then God will really make it hard on you. That's nonsense. <laughs> don't believe that kind of nonsense. If you, if you go to God and you're trying to learn patience, and you're trying to grow in patience, you think He's going to make your life harder because you, you asked a great question like that instead of just, Lord, when are you going to pour on the blessing and the prosperity this preacher is telling me about? I want a plane and a, and a mansion. How much do I have to give to this guy on TV? <laughs> Nothing against anyone. Oh, I see there. <laughs> Kindness. Easy. Treating others like you want to be treated. Sam is a kind person. Tamara is a kind person. Everybody in here kind. Probably more kind than me. There I am in the sin of comparison again. Maybe look unto Jesus. But the point is, that's... That's the essence of kindness, treating others as we want to be treated. Jesus had something to say about it in chapter 6 of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. You all enjoying this? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Luke chapter 6, 27 through 31. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, But I say unto you, which here... Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Okay, now it just calls you all kind. And we're talking about kindness. And Jesus is defining kindness for us now. Have I lost you yet? No. Do good to them which hate you. Okay, good. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee, if somebody hits you on the cheek, offer also the other. He might have lost me a little bit right there. I want to do that. 
I want to be that. And I'm purposely saying, help me, Holy Spirit, I want to do that. And I really do believe I've gotten to the point where I will let them smite me on the cheek. Once. I don't, I don't, I want to do it twice. I really believe in that moment, the Holy Spirit will empower me. But, you know, I I just have to be honest with God sometimes. He likes that. Now, this is way different than me saying, I'm not going to do that, Lord. I'm never saying that. I'm saying, I'm right now, before you and Him and everyone, I want that. I'm just not sure that I can always do that. Uh, and him that taketh away thy cloak forbid not to take thy coat also give give to every man that asketh of thee and of him that taketh away from thy goods ask them not again in other words somebody steals from you don't even ask it back if he wants your coat give him your cloak also And, and as you would that men should do to you do ye also likewise unto them. This is Jesus that wrote the golden rule that hangs in the kindergarten classes, you know. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, oh. And he goes on to say, because if you love them which love you, what thing have ye for sinners also love those that love themselves? This is where he goes on to talk about, you know, don't, you know, just because you're good to your family and your friends and your loved ones, that's what the whole world does that. And they give to people that they think they can get it back from and with interest and all that. That's the world. You, you, until you get to a supernatural level, you're not really impressing me at all, he says. So, and after, if you just skip over a page to the seventh chapter, he, he, he says something more. He, he summarizes, basically... And verse uh, 12 of the 7th chapter of Luke, he says, Now, uh, uh, that's not the right scripture I had in mind. But anyway, <laughs> let me tell you what Jesus said. He said that doing, uh, doing good unto others, as you would have them to do unto you, this summarizes the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole entire Old Covenant, which people go, oh my gosh. Really, the whole thing can be summarized in this one scripture, this one word. Which Jesus left us with one law. God gave ten. The Jews came up with another 613, I think. Jesus summarized everything in one. Love each other. As I have loved you, which means that agape, laying down your life for the for Christian brothers, kind of love, and that's that's where it all comes to. Let me give you just a little a tip or a key to all this. If in case you're or somebody listening at some point is struggling in their mind whether they're going to do this or not, whether they're going to remove this ceiling they have on what, how much they'll put up with, how much they'll take. Let me give you a little key. It's all going to work out that way anyway. The world calls it karma. We don't. (laughs) 
What it is, is a spiritual law that God has placed and that affects the natural realm in which we live in in human behavior and relationships. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. They talk about it in Galatians 6-7, which I'm not going to turn over there because I'll read the whole chapter. (laughs) But if I remember correctly, Paul warns us, don't be deceived. Don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Because, in other words, this is a good place where I tell you Christians need to get their butt out of the way. I talk to Christians every day, seems like, that say, yeah, and they'll say some good things from the Word in agreement with God, and then they go, but. Like, what? How? How is there, it can be rhetorical, how can you rebut God? Or add to? Or take away from? <laughs> but, God doesn't expect me to put up with this. That's the one I hear the most. But, yeah, I'm, I'm standing in faith, but I, I want to be smart. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want, and I, God bless everybody. I'm not against anyone. I'm just saying we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that because it's that spiritual tug of war. You, you just expressed your faith and unbelief in the same sentence and it's a spiritual tug of war and you wonder why you're not getting anywhere with God. You're not seeing the results that you're believing for because you're not going to get the part that you're talking about you're standing in faith when you're also speaking and giving authority to the enemy with your unbelief and doubt. It's just the way it is. Time and time again, Psalm 78 says, they looked back. Talking about in the desert, they looked back to Egypt where they had the pomegranates and the figs, even though they were slaves and were being beaten and killed and had to make bricks out of mud with no straw. Time and time they looked back and tempted the Holy One or limited, the King James says, limited God. We can limit God with our stinking thinking, our unbelief and doubt. And we all do it to some degree. But I'm just trying to, we're trying to grow in these things. We're trying to understand God's ways and the spiritual laws that He has in place. You know, He's not sitting up there making a judgment call on every... uh, Every prayer and every every uh, act of disobedience and everything, he put laws in place to handle all this for him. In other words, if I go do certain things, I'm opening a door, a legal right for the enemy to walk in and come in and eat my lunch and pop the bag. I did that. God didn't make a judgment call. Yeah, get him, devil, because he he went against me. No, he set this up long ago for our, on our for our benefit, assuming, hoping that we would love him and be obedient to him, knowing that he's a good, good father, and that if he tells us something, it's for our own good, not to hurt us or harm us or withhold things from us. <coughs> Amen. Amen. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't fool yourself. Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. Using farming terminology, but we've all 
grown a garden or in school put some seeds on a sponge or whatever, you know, but you've seen the power that is released in that little seed. And whatever we sow, we're going to reap. That's why we have to understand a little bit about farming if we're going to understand anything about God. Because everything comes under this spiritual law because it has natural effects in our lives. Sowing and reaping. Whether it's good or evil. Everything is in seed form. So it's like every time we're talking, I just see somebody just like a machine gun spitting those watermelon seeds out. But they're not all watermelons. If they were, Tamana would be so happy. Because she could eat one every day. So if you understand that and believe it, please do. Galatians 6, 7. That's why Jesus talked about money so much. And then how it's in seed form. And God returns seed to the sower. And that's how he has set up the kingdom of God. He could make all ministers independently wealthy. And he wouldn't need Christians. But he wants them to be a part of that. To sow into that. Anyway. So, and then the different kinds of ground in our hearts. So that we can see that there's a different type of return. Based on our motivation and in the, to the ground in which we sow and so forth and so on. 30, 60, 100 fold return. God is a God of multiplication. It's good to lend to God. Because you can't outgive Him. This is a fact. But it's not karma. It's just the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. And God said way back in Genesis... This law is going to be in place as long as this world is here. Amen? Amen. So kindness is just really sort of an enlightened self-interest. I can remember in the old days before I knew God, but I thought I did. And if I had just enough whiskey or whatever, I would sometimes decide to talk about God. But I remember, as, as bad as I was, there were a lot of people that thought I was a really good guy. And I guess in many ways I were. You know, you know, you, you know we all were bad and good. And, you know, it just depends. <laughs> but I remember somebody, on more than one occasion, people would ask me, man, why did you do that? You know, this is a good deed I did or some kind of nice thing or seed I'd sown for someone that I didn't even know or something like that. And I told him I did it for selfish reasons. I'm pointing up like that. I did not know how true that was. <laughs> Seed, time, and harvest. You see? That's the law. So, we have to get to the point where even acts of kindness, treating others like we want to be treated, even when... They're not going to reciprocate. Maybe not right away. Maybe not ever. But here's the key. Remember, it's not them that has to reciprocate. It's not them. It's not between you and them. It's between you and God. Just like that poem anyway by Mother Teresa. Do it anyway. People are going to misuse you and mistreat you and judge you and do this and that. Love them anyway. Be kind anyway. Give anyway. Do this anyway. It's a beautiful poem and it's true. Because it's not between you and them. 
It's between you and God anyway. And God is the one. He may keep your investment for quite a long time. But I think the longer He holds it, the more of a return on your investment you will get. There's just no way you're ever going to say that He was unjust in doing anything or that He was stingy or any of that. He's not broke. He owns the thousand cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> and that's just a drop in the bucket. Amen? He's really big on being kind to the poor. The Bible talks about that at some length. And it's given me some pause this week thinking about those things. But and I, I think we are. You know, we, we give an awfully lot. But the uh, Proverbs 19.17 says that when you lend to the poor or you give to the poor, you're lending to God. That's sort of what I was talking about if you want a scripture to kind of back that up. You're lending to God. And how many of you wouldn't wouldn't trust God with a loan? I mean, yeah. What you need, Lord, whatever I got. And then some. If I knew, if I really believed I was going to get a hundredfold return on my investment, I'd, I'd go borrow money against that. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Ecclesiastes... 11 verses 1 and 2 puts it I love Ecclesiastes it's really beautiful beautiful beautiful. it comes after uh, Proverbs and and Psalms Um, I can find it quickly I'll just share that with you if not I'll put it in my not so eloquent terms Ecclesiastes I know you're right here. Okay. Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 and 2. It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. That's a promise from God. And all the promises of God in Christ are what? Yes and amen for you. Amen. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Does this mean go and and take a loaf of bread uh, and throw it out the back of the boat? No. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. What in the world does all that mean? Cast thy bread on the water, and I... If I throw bread in the water, then uh, the troubles that come upon the earth won't come upon me? Is this like a a magic spell? No. And we're not for any of that kind of nonsense, right? So what does God mean by that? He's saying to give. Yeah, give. God will put it upon your heart to do good things, won't He? Yeah. Uh, are you always praying for our Lord? Show me where I can be of you. Show me what's you and what's not you. I, you know, do I do I give to everybody that lives under the street if they catch me at the red light? You know, if they mess up my windshield with that thing, am I still supposed to give them money? No, not literally. But God will tell you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. 
Yeah, there's peace. Peace is supposed to be your umpire. When I say umpire, look at Sam. <laughs> Affectionately. Because, see, that's giving to the poor. What Sam does, I mean, they might pay him something. Believe me, he's not retiring on it. But he's done it for years. And you know what? You're not always treated so wonderfully by those parents. I know that. That's a thankless job sometimes. And I know it's hot. And I know he works for a living. And he's got other things to do. And he goes out there for years. I've known him for, I don't know, a long freaking time. 16 years maybe. And he's been doing it ever since I've known him. Still doing it, huh? Yeah. So, but anyway, you give. And, and, and he says, give, cast your bread on it give to seven. No, eight. I would say seven is the number of perfection. So seven would be the number of, of your duty. Give, give what you're supposed to give to who you're supposed to give. And then go the extra mile like Jesus described. That's eight. That's his number. That's resurrection power. Amen. God's number is seven for completion. That, that's doing everything you're supposed to do. There's, do. there's your duty as a Christian. I mean, come on. Give to your church. Give to the other uh, ministries that God puts on your heart to give and, and to and help those that that are around you. And, you know, do the things that you just know, hey, this, and then go that extra mile. Give till it hurts. You know, I, I literally, I told somebody I almost teared up, but I actually did tear up when I, I made a deposit last week for $5.00. And that was the offering. And I apologize because I just found yours in the basket this morning. But I thought it was the offering. And some people give online. Anyway, I'm not trying to talk about people's giving. But I found a $5 offering. And it was from someone who I knew doesn't have a lot of $5. Can't possibly have earned too much money in their lifetime. And I, I thought of the widow's might. God is a God of percentages. And I was so proud. And I, I actually... You know, tear it up a little bit. And I prayed. You know, that that person got a special blessing from me toward God. And I know that it's coming anyway. But nevertheless, we're just talking about being kind and, and going the extra mile. Amen. Jesus summed it up pretty easily by saying, be kind. And it's not just being good to others. And I think I'm only going to make it through patience and kindness today. We'll do goodness next week. Amen? But let me finish with kindness, because if I rush through it, you might think it just means being nice, which you already are. <laughs> but it's just like patience. It has another part. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7, verse, verses 1 and 2. I always like to see what Jesus said about stuff, you know, make sure, because the whole Bible is the Holy Spirit wrote it, but I don't know why I feel like I have to make sure Jesus said it when it's the same person. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, the art other part of kindness, which is very important, and it's hard for sometimes for Christians to understand this. That's why you need to go to a place that teaches grace and truth. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Judge not, judge not that ye be not judged. Don't judge so you won't be judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why look at the splinter in your brother's eye and not look at the telephone poles taken out of yours? So, <laughs> and, I, and, and again, in Galatians 6.1, you don't have to turn over there. I'm just going to just give you one more witness to that. Ephesians, uh, Philippians. Go back. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Buy some stickum for your fingers, and thou shalt not have trouble turning the pages. Forgive me, Lord. He has a sense of humor. <laughs> Galatians 6 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that is to love one another. But, he's talking about mercy here. And we can associate mercy with kindness as well. And this is hard. I've <laughs> Wow. I've seen such hypocrisy in the body of Christ. I've probably been involved in it. I mean, it's just so, it's a balancing act, isn't it? To live for God and then not ever get to a place where you're seen as the judge or the cop, you know, or the fruit inspector, (laughs) since we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So, being kind is not just have to do with our money, our our time, or just being kind, giving to the poor, but in not judging. So that we ourselves will receive the mercy of God that we want. How many of you have ever gotten to an arrogant enough place where you thought that you did not need the mercy of God every day? We do. We all do. And so we need need to remember this law of sowing and reaping. We should be compelled or motivated by love anyway, not just to keep the wrath of God off of us. Because trust me, it's not the judgment of God that's coming against us anymore. Jesus bore that till God's judgment and punishment for our sins was exhausted on Jesus on the cross. That's how much He took. That's why we should be so in awe and fear of the Lord and reverence and awe and love and admiration and respect and gratitude. But we do open doors for the enemy. So we should be merciful. And this is a big one because I was just talking to you recently about submitting to uh, church government because it's an important thing. And I had to clarify, I ain't trying to be your boss or nothing like that. But 
people should be trying to find out what God says about the things in their life. And be willing to do it the way that God says. That's what it means to be submitted to God's government. God was willing to to govern us. That's a blessing, not a curse. And we can only get that through Jesus. But the point is, we need to be merciful so that we receive mercy. If you are a judgmental person, always looking down your nose, especially Christians, because the world is looking for that. And they hate that. And you're not going to bring anyone to Christ that way. Jesus has to be shared, not shoved. And if you are ugly about people's problems, I have friends that, like I said, they always challenge me with their sins. They meet me head on with their sins. You know I do this and that and that. And then they look at me waiting for a response. A reaction, as it were. And I just love them. I bless them. I tell them, you know, my ministry is one of reconciliation. Of grace and peace. If you only knew what God brought me from. Now, I don't try to get down in the mud with them, you know. And I don't tell them that I, God's fine with whatever you're doing. I don't tell them that. I don't say anything. Sometimes I don't say anything anyway. And I just let them think about what they said and why they said it. Let God work on them. I just try to listen to see what the Lord wants me to say. But I definitely don't go, well, you know, you should, God ain't don't like that. You know, because if they don't know the Lord, then, you know, they're not prepared for a message of reconciliation. The first thing, the first uh, words of faith that they need are uh, the message of the gospel, the good news, the almost too good to be true news. They have to believe that first and accept it before they get rid of that that other nature that's going to reject anything you have to share with them anyway. Amen? I'm going to stop right there because I just want to go, go, go. This I was going to get started right here and believe me. We would be here past your lunch. So, Lord, thank you for this time together with your beautiful, kind, patient children. And next week, we're going to find out if we're good or not. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord. And we just ask that people will learn to grow in your character and not be so mindful of ourselves and and righting the wrongs against us in this world, but to turn to you, to trust in you, and to live a life of gratitude in the things that have been accomplished for us. Not the things that we don't have, but the things, the mistreatment that we have had. Yes, there's a place for, for that. And Lord, we just pray that, that uh, the law that you have established that it, that it will be used, as you said, in the land. That it will be to punish those who are, have done wrong. No matter what color or race or religion or denomination. That the law will be in place to protect good people. And that good people will obey the law. But Lord, help us to remember that this life is but a flicker. And that our real problem here in the earth with unity is that we're not... We're not in unity with you. And that we need to be restored in our relationship with you. And then to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us with this, Lord. And help us to help others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.